When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today's Thursday, October 5th, 2023. Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're going to start with some listener feedback. Before I do that, I want to hit the Patreon. The, uh, the 2013 to 2023 ranking of the National Book Award winners is up there right now. Also, go check out First Edition. Rebecca joined me to talk about the It Books of October. That's there now. And we're going to start today, though, with a little listener feedback. Our TikTok correspondence. Thank you so much. Thank you. I mean this from the bottom. This is no... Sincerely. I know it's sometimes hard to tell with my sarcasm. I know it can be very difficult. Um, But sincerely, thank you. But Liz writes in to say, there is a mystery book all over TikTok. And here's Hmm. what Liz knows and what's seen. It's listed for $32.99 with a November 7th release date. No title, no book cover. That's not a lot to go on, you might think. There huh. is one other bit that if you search for the ISBN, it lists it as a Red Tower book. Red Tower mm. is the publisher of Fourth mm-hmm. Wing, and also mm-hmm. in November is coming out the sequel, Iron Flame. Okay. And people are doing the thing they did with the book they thought might be Taylor Swift's memoir. Oh, um, of just but that buying was the BTS blind, memoir. Yeah. But there's the iron iron. It's not the. I keep saying that iron flame is not in the system, so they're buying this thinking it might be a special edition of Iron Flame. They don't want people to, get those spreads. Maybe they're bringing back an, another edition of Fourth Wing with spreads or some other you know turtle shell shark teeth, witch's blood. You know I don't know what kind of uh, accoutrements <laughs> they're going to put yeah. on there. Um, maybe it's a uh, what they call it Christian Gray. Uh, told from a different point of view, the first group. Oh, great. Some other yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. really it sounds like people are losing their minds with flip. speculating <laughs> about this and they don't want to be left out. They don't want to be spredged out um, of this. So they're buying it. So there you go. If someone knows something, really fascinating to see. I don't know how this was discovered. Um, you don't see this very often, but uh, wow, that, that's quite a look. That's quite that a look. That is quite a look. What an interesting, like, will we see publishers now try to capitalize on this by, like, we'll just put out an ISBN with no information and hope TikTok gets excited about it? I mean, that would work once, right? Because then it's once, like you accidentally right, right. bought, you know, um, a cookbook, a tofu cookbook set in, you know, or right. something you get weird, a like a bait and switch. Yeah. Um, well, I you would know. think that the Taylor Swift BTS situation would have been... You know, illustrative of like yeah. don't assume that you can decode these things I kind of feel like Taylor Swift fans 
and this is not said pejoratively, though it might sound that way. Uh, I don't know you can do that. Can you say it? It don't mean this pejoratively, even if it comes out to be this way. I don't know. That's a, 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 did the sophist teacher, did the sophist teach that in, in ancient Greece? Um, I think they come and go like cicadas. They come and they eat all the crops and then they move on. So I don't know that they were too dissuaded by, because they were also doing weird stuff to try to get tickets. I think there was a sense, there's true. a sense of Taylor Swift scarcity that you just know there's going to be some breakage in your Taylor Swift budget <laughs> because you, you don't want to get left out. So you got to spread it You'd rather get the false positive right. of the BTS That's right. book That's right. than miss out on the Taylor Swift. That might not possibly. be, that, that might not me. be corn. That might be someone's painted fence post, but I'm going to eat it because who knows what's coming up next. <laughs> Um, well, keep us posted, yes. Liz. Thank you and very thank much, you. Liz. Like, we're not going to go deep dive into TikTok, but we do appreciate dispatches from what's happening. Yeah. Over there. So, and, and also, people feel free to send us individual trends, whatever. Um, we will talk. We will talk about your uh, email if you send it. Is also at always at dot com. Uh, okay. Wanted to get that listener feedback into the record before we get into macro right. literary news. Uh, so Nobel Prize, I guess here's something to say, and this is something I'm saying to myself as much as anyone. Awarding the Nobel Prize might be the most impossible single (laughs) task of literary discernment that is possible. (laughs) I think that's right. So we all need to take a breath and remember that it's very hard and the world is big. And I think there's things you can critique about any choice. I think, you know, I, I joked in, did I joke? Was it a joke in our company Slack this morning? It's like, oh, <laughs> what a shock. Another obscure Scandinavian writer. Definitely a bias mm-hmm. to those of Northern European um, origin and operation. We could get some more Asia. We could get some more Africa. Absolutely, absolutely. But, and still with saying that, there are so many amazing writers in so many languages that I don't know how you do this. And the secrecy, I think, is part of the problem and attractiveness mm-hmm. of it because it's kind of they open up that gold door like Willy Wonka and like, here we go, and then they disappear back behind it. So there's that. So unless you have a copious understanding of world literature, and there's some people out there that do, and this is what they do, I'm not here for, oh, another one of these guys or this other person sort of won it because I have no reading experience directly of, of Fosse, Fosse, um, but I... I have the people I'd prefer to win, but most of us have zero legs to stand on to say this person right. is less deserving than Murakami, you know, just to pick someone that mm-hmm. would get Same. a warm yeah. in the American, forever. in the running, a Rushdie, you know, someone that has a little American name recognition. There's a certain provincialism to that that feels like worldliness that's actually backwards when someone does yeah. that. So I want to get, the, uh, on the other hand, I do also want to say, it's okay to be like, I've never heard of this person, and I am not interested in them. That is also an all right reaction to any of these kinds of yeah. uh, announcements. I I do think this is a really hard job, because you get to award one person yeah. per year for their entire body of work. And there are a handful of American writers that I would love to see get it. And then a whole bunch, I have to assume, at least a handful of writers from like every other country in yes. the world. <laughs> That the readers of those people think like, oh, yes, this body of work is also deserving of recognition like that. I don't know how they do it, literally, because as you were saying, it's very secret. Apparently, the nomination process is quite casual. Like, you can sort of just call somebody up and say, hey, I think this person should be. Hey, Sven, have you heard of Jan? Oh, yeah. Right. No, I haven't. (laughs) Um, But how they actually narrow it down. 
who knows? I do always appreciate Nobel Day for the reminder that the world yeah. of literature is so, so big. And it would be, it would feel, I think it would feel small and constraining and less exciting if every year it was like, oh, yes, someone I've heard of. Mm. Or if even every year it was someone I've never heard of, but that I'm going to go read. But every now and then you do get the delight, you know, yes. like we would not have had the wonderful moment of thinking about people talking about growing tomatoes. You know, every time I go check our garden, I think about Louise Glick. Right. If we hadn't have had Louise Glick, you know, win a couple of years ago. So I I do really like, you know, the variety there. And as you were saying, there's always room for Mm -hmm. broader representation, more diversity of consideration, um, or for someone else to develop an additional award. You know, I don't think we need to like topple the Nobel, but maybe there's a way to do... Something else that looks at body of work. It was really interesting to me to have this land alongside the MacArthur, because the MacArthur is almost the inverse. It's not necessarily the very beginning of someone's career, Mm. but it's an investment in their potential and in what else they're going to do. It's functionally a vote of, we see you doing interesting work, and we want to give you a way to continue doing that work and do more work and bigger work and better work. And it's fascinating to me to, to think about that because those are interesting to see and exciting to see too of like, yes, Ada Limon, please give her a bigger platform. Please give these scientists who are doing brand new things an interesting platform and some space and some money and time to go and explore stuff. And maybe they will make a contribution then at some point that lands them in consideration for a body of work. But like how you arrive in the place where you have a body of work that puts you in Nobel contention, um, I think is one way to think about sometimes how these lists can be so white and so, you know, Northern European is that it most people are not making a lot of money writing. And if you don't have some other way to support yourself or family wealth that allows you to pursue that, something like a MacArthur is almost necessary. It's a huge game changer yeah. um, for most folks to just just be able to focus on their art. And so the, that MacArthur is a real leveler of the playing field in some way um, or you know raises up the playing field in some way. Um, those things aren't, you know, directly related to each other, but seeing them land side by side really made me think about like, how, how are we looking at these people at the very beginning of their careers? And then what does it, what's the trajectory that someone has to follow to, to end up being in Nobel consideration and all the things that have to go right for them? Yeah. The other thing that's, I guess, helpful to think about how, um, you know, most of our listeners are North Americans, especially, but U.S. focused is how many of the other Nobels go to Americans? Something like 75% of all Nobels go to Americans, and a lot of that is the U.S.'s culture of higher education. Right? Not that everything's going great in higher education of late, but there's a lot of work. People come from all over the world to go you know, study, teach, do research in labs that are in American Mm -hmm. higher education, and that's been true since World War II, maybe before, right? and what a what a wealth and the other thing to say is that a huge number of those people are immigrants. So if you need something yes. in your your arrow, your quiver, an arrow in your quiver for the holidays to um spicy uncle Kevin or whoever, um <laughs> say you know, you might bring out your 50% of American Nobels are won by um immigrants to the US and that's valuable and that's important. Yep. And if that means that every now and again someone who writes Scandinavian theater 
gets an award that I'm like mm, not for me, I think I'm cool with that. I think I think I'm gonna yep, I'm gonna live be through that because Lord knows I don't need to add something else to my list. Have you read about this particular <laughs> fella this morning at all? Have you done any? homework have you done just a little bit all right yeah i read through the times had a nice like running updates thing since early early this morning when it was awarded so i've read the little bits and pieces i know a little bit about um fosse's career i do know that he was a mentor to carl of nausgaard as well um just kind of the basics but i don't know much are you aiming at a particular fact you want to get out there sort of i the, the reason that this this particular fellow was on my radar at all. I think I'd seen the name before, um, but Merv Erme wrote a profile of him in the New Yorker in November uh, mm. of last year, and it's really interesting. And the line, and I think I found it. I don't have a current digital New Yorker subscription. I, I let it run out, which I, I should get the New Yorker. I've always enjoyed it. Anyway, the line, and I don't remember it verbatim, but it was something to this effect that his masterwork, apparently or early masterwork, is called Septology. And if yes. you know anything about language, you know that sept means seven. And this is mm-hmm. a collection of seven novels um, yes. written in one sentence. One oh, sentence. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> and it practices something Fosse calls slow prose. And that little trifecta was enough for me to be like, I'm glad this is out there for people that want this. <laughs> Yeah, I saw Septology. I saw that the that the seven of them were all very long and that he was a mentor to Nausgaard, who famously you know, yeah. likes to write long books himself. And it came to the same conclusion of, I don't think that Yun Fasse is going to be for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm glad he's doing his thing and that it seems to have worked for people. Yeah, um, I read the first couple of pages and it, f- it feels like Again, I have not done excruciatingly detailed, close readings of it in a, in a rigorous way, but there's a stream of consciousness element to it, and it's you know I'm I'm painting this, and the bright the lines are bright, and the sun is shining, and I feel my it's like okay, um, cool. I'm sure in the original Swedish, it's even more amazing. I, I don't know. Um, Lauren Groff apparently is an enormous fan. Which you can see some of this mm-hmm, interior mm-hmm. revelatory, sacred, um, banal crossover, especially in Matrix and Vaster Wild. Some yes. of these epif- sort of everyday epiphanies, or mm-hmm. you know, staging these moments of banal insight. That is cool. I don't. I think I'm good for six pages of that. To be honest with you, you know, I don't love dreams, yeah. as people may know. I don't love dreams, visions, or drug trips. In, in I don't find that to be particularly. I don't know. Exciting. Um, now, visions, um, epiphanies, thoughts, breakthroughs. That's interesting. That's so a little on the border for me, but seems like a big ass. Seems like there's some people out there that really like him, and there's not a lot of haters. Um, except for the idea of this person. I haven't seen a lot of people mm. being like, yeah, I read all of Septology and what a what a clunker. Um, I think there's some, ga- there's some <laughs> you know self-selection what? happening in getting yeah. through that. If you've read all of Septology and you de- have deemed it a clunker, then I'm willing to hear your argument. Right. <laughs> you've, you have done the homework. I think it makes me glad that Lauren Groff is doing this kind of work in 300 pages or less lately. <laughs> She's just sort of distilling it down, you know? Gets it mm-hmm. under 320, Potent. the magic number. You can get get in there. Um, think, of, think of the Vaster Wilds were even stuff. vaster, like three times as vast. I think that uh, I always just want to, on Nobel Day, when people lose their minds, be like, 
remember it could be worse it could be bob dylan again like which i feel fine about also music is literature we all survived a musician winning yeah i'm into it too i would love to see another musician win it um but like come on folks let's not let's keep it in perspective you think britney spears is up for the nobel literature I really don't. Oops, I did it again. You know, it scans pretty Brittany, well. It, it, oops. Brittany, you know, more about the performance yeah, than the lyrics, I think. Anyway, okay, so there's that. Congratulations. I don't, like, I, I sometimes will, like, I picked up Abdul Razak Gurna and loved Afterlives and talked about mm-hmm. it on the show. That was a real discovery for me. You know, depending on the, the nature of it, I'll give it a chance. I think probably this one's going to miss me. Uh, to, be, Me too. to be perfectly honest. If you love it, and, uh, if you say, Jeff, you know what? I've heard you say something or you close-minded fool, try this other thing that's not seven <laughs> volumes of one sentence. Um, cool. I'm, I'm op- I'm, my ears are open, and my, but my heart is closing <laughs> to the idea of this. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> yeah, I picked up Annie or No last year yeah. after she won and just hadn't like gotten around Same. to it yet. Someday. Someday. Too many books. Too, too many, many books. books. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Team. In a world where the children of the gods inherit their powers, a descendant of the Greek fates must solve a series of impossible murders to save her sisters, her soulmate, and her city. Descendants of the fates are always born in threes. There's one to weave, one to draw, and one to cut the threads that connect people to the things they love and to life itself. And the Aura sisters are no exceptions. There is Eo, the youngest, who uses her fate-born abilities as a private investigator, but her latest job leads her to a horrific discovery. Somebody is abducting women and setting the resulting wraiths loose in the city to kill. Now, the second book in the series, Hearts That Cut, will be on sale June 18th, 2024. This is a must-read for all Greek mythology and fantasy fans. This is dripping with atmosphere, edged with danger. Threads That Bind weaves together a gorgeous dark tapestry of mystery, fated romance, and modern myth. You won't be able to put this one down. And that comes from Alexandra Bracken, New York Times bestselling author of Lore. So make sure to pick up Threads That Bind by Kitsa Hatsapolu. And thanks again to Penguin Teen for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. 
at school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused. And it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Um, something I do feel more qualified to weigh in on because I've read <laughs> a lot of these books at this point is the NBA mm-hmm. finalists. And Let's did I already do, it. I can't remember if I did another rant about this. So the, the love shot here is the NBA finalists came out. So there's the five and we're talking about fiction here. This is the one we, you and mm-hmm. I know the most about is that, um, Paul Harding's This Other Eden has made it to the list of five, um, yes. which I continue. And also the Booker shortlist. The Booker shortlist, which I find confounding. And it could be in three weeks when these things get announced. He hasn't won either, and no one will remember because if you asked me under duress to name the finalists, any NBA finalists from the last 10 years, I probably couldn't do it. Um, I could do the winners for some of them because we just did that exercise. Mm-hmm. But these things tend to fall by the wayside. But that Groff isn't on here, and that's what I'll speak to. I'm going to go head to head. This isn't the Nobel, right? Where it's like it's it's yeah. Fosse versus the world. These are two, and I've read them both, and I have yet to see anyone say that Harding is the greater accomplishment. I, I just I don't understand it, and I don't, I don't think there was a version either. of the the short list that would do that thing we were hoping people would do. We kind of want this award to do of you know dip dip your toes into the water of 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 mass interest or wider yeah, I, interest i was writing I'm, I'm in the middle of working on a little bonus piece mm. about sort of let's get to know the finalists for the national book awards and i'm gonna guess about each one's chances for our today in books newsletter and the thing i keep landing on is i really believe that the venn diagram of making book awards like mainstream book awards like what the national book award is intended to be useful to readers is landing in some consideration for some of the titles not all of them of the intersection of literary merit and people actually read and liked this thing and the closest on the list of finalists is Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Which Kame I'm pulling for Brenda. pretty hard at this point. Me yeah. too. Which like, it's it's been a Bookternet favorite, really interesting writer, mm-hmm. an interesting and edgy premise. I think if the judges were interested or like had demonstrated in any way an interest in elevating titles that they think are actually going to like fulfill the National Book Awards mission of making books more relevant in society and getting more people to read that's the one that it would go for. And then there are some that like, you you don't need everything to be in the center no. of that Venn diagram of popular and literary merit. Sometimes you elevate something just to help it get elevated. And I think Temple Folk by Aliyah Bilal is an interesting one there. Where like, it's a collection of short stories. Only one of the winners in the last century, in this century, has been a collection of short stories. That was redeployment by Phil Kay. Um, but 
short stories are often nominated and it helps those writers. Like if you're nominated and shortlisted for the National Book Award, it can help you get another, a future book deal. It can help you get a better book deal. It can help you go to a bigger publisher. It does increase visibility. Like Disha Filia was a finalist in 2020 Mm -hmm. for The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. The National Book Award finalist list making did not do all the work for her there. That book was great and it got talked about a lot. But now she's got a seven figure deal with a major house for her next two books. So like, Okay, some of that is good. Let's elevate something that has literary merit but is not popular yet. But this list is like they didn't even look at what's popular in any mainstream kind of sense. Yeah. And it can you can be popular and have literary merit and Lauren Groff does both and she should be on this list and that's it. <laughs> Remind me why we do the long list to the finalists is just for another news cycle? Is that why we do this? I another set of books that get to put a medal of some kind no, on I'm their covers the, and use the it for Academy marketing. No, I'm saying the Awards for Best Picture, there's 10. There's no... We're gonna, oh, right, Let's yeah. just go 10. Narrow These are the down. finalists. Right, yeah. And everyone I gets agree. to put finalists on there, and you can cast a wider net. You can have some you know, up-and-comers. You can have some real hidden gems. You can have some people at the beginning of their career that don't, but then you can sprinkle in some... Groffs. Yeah. You know, you can, you can sprinkle... In, and I don't need... And again, like I said, I don't think... And again, I can only speak for the three books that I've read that I'm talking about. Chain Gang, All-Stars, This Other Eden, and The Vaster Wilds. I can't speak to Temple Fork with End of Drum Time. They'll both seem pretty interesting. Um, big look mm-hmm. for Scandinavia again and The End of Drum Time. Good, great day for Scandinavia all the way around. <laughs> uh, but you don't sacrifice anything by including Vaster Wilds. And again, here's the other thing. No. It's not like it's selling gangbusters. It's not the top 20 best-selling hardcover fiction book. It's, it's not like it's Top Gun Maverick. It just isn't that. You know, right. you're not like saying, well, let's get Avengers Endgame to compete here. It's like, you get to have it both ways. And you know, we're, we're trotting mm-hmm. down again. It's like, I don't understand. And there's a, I think I might write for the deep dive about like, if I were running the National Book Board, what I would do, or the Pulitzer, or pick one of these. But I do appreciate, much in the same vein as the Nobel's an Impossible Task, you can watch 50 movies if you're, you know, mm-hmm. in the industry and there's really only that. I mean, is there any any more than that that are really generally considered for for best picture? You could watch fifty movies in a year. Yeah, Reading it's a much fifty books task. in a year is really hard, even for people in this. And then to winnow it down from there and there, I really I super sympathetic to this problem that that's that's there. So I would widen the pool. Let's make it like the Academy. Mm-hmm. Let's maybe you're a member of the National Book Award national book committee and you have to be a writer you have to have worked in the industry maybe you're a critic let's get a thousand people voting on these mm-hmm. and then some people can put their their special favorites and a few of those get enough behind them that you get you know something unusual in there but then you get a little bit of more consensus uh, around the I think whole that's thing. right. That it's down to five people's idiosyncratic preferences, yeah. and those five people tend to be the kinds of writers who like teach in MFA programs, read those kinds of work, have time mm-hmm. to be the judge for the National Book Award. Really does impact the things that are chosen, or it seems to have over the last couple of years. Because one of the interesting things about doing the exercise we did for the Patreon last week was looking back at the last 10 years and then kind of scrolling even to the 10 years before that and realizing they have not always been this niche and this MFA darling tilted, you know, like some books that were 
quite popular and had a lot of literary merit did win and did get nominated and the committees haven't always seemed to shy away from that like i did go and revisit the national book awards mission Mm. as stated on their website which is to celebrate the best literature published in the united states expand its audience and ensure that books have a prominent place in our culture that last it's that last one right i mean it's that that last last one that you know, some of the titles that are on the shortlist, I think, are ringing the expand their audience bell. You know, you picked something that you think should have a bigger audience and you're using the platform of the National Book Awards to try to make that happen. And that is fine and good and a very worthy endeavor. But this ensure that books have a prominent place in our culture. If To do that, you need to elevate books that people are actually going to read. And that have a shot at like somebody who's a casual reader and picks a copy up on the table in Barnes and Noble or in their airport bookstore or because someone, you know, in their book club mentions it are going to be interested in them and like obscure collections of short stories or really like edgy literary fiction that plays with format Mm -hmm. and form and takes on difficult political issues like that's not it that is not what is going to broaden access and interest to that gives books a prominent place in our culture those books need to be written and they need to be celebrated and some of the short lists should be those but like that a book like the vaster wilds doesn't make the short list I think is kind of indefensible when your mission is celebrate merit and ensure that books have a prominent place in our culture. Look at this stuff. Like who's doing both? There are writers doing both. And if you can achieve that, it's like the rarest feat Mm -hmm. to be good and popular in books. That is worthy of consideration and elevation as well. So if chain gang all stars wins, um, I'd be, I'd be thrilled. I think, you know, that's, that's a great title. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. He's a super interesting person, and I will get around to read. I mean, I'm going to prioritize reading Temple Folk in the end of drum time, and I'd be love to be wrong and say, you know what? Maybe I can see, I, but it's the it's the Harding, and he's and it's not like he's some underknown. He's already won a goddamn Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. Like he's already got a, <laughs> yeah. a, a notch on his and belt. I, so I, really I kind confused. of feel like Chain Gang, Chain Gang All Stars should win, from what I know of the books on yeah. the list. Temple Folk is unlikely to win. Yeah. I, I, it sounds like Paul Harding should not be on this list. I mean, <laughs> that's, your that's one it, reader's which opinion. I trust. <laughs> yeah, um, and I would. I think there's a good chance that Blackouts by Justin Torres will win because yeah. it does the kind of thing that these judges seem interested in, which is play with form while also taking on current issues and political. Yeah, I, I haven't read that, but of the ones I haven't read, that one sounds. No, I've read We the Animals. I've read some about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you read the blurb for the end of drum time? Did you read any but what this story? something about reindeer farms? This is from the publisher. In 1851, at a remote village in the Scandinavian tundra, a Lutheran minister known as Mad Lasse tries in vain to convert the native Sami reindeer herders to his faith. Okay. 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 Um, there you but go. just like imagine pitching that to your book club. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems tough. It seems tough. Mm-hmm. The other thing about but this, a good day for you've got five judges, and I, you know, Matt Johnson is a writer I really like. Helena Maria Veramontes, mm-hmm. I've read. I haven't read Calvin Crosby, Silas House, or Steph Shaw. I, I think they're all well-intentioned, and they're probably all reading from... Of course. They're, they're all trying to do the right thing. I don't know enough of how this works. If one person doesn't really hates a book, does that, does that blackball it? Is it three out of five? Mm. I don't know how that, that any of this happens. And you can imagine there are structural things. Maybe one of these people just just thought that Vaster Wilds was 
I'm not even sure what you say, but they just don't like it. Five, five people, it just doesn't feel like enough, man. That's a lot. If this mm-hmm. is the crown jewel in the American literary landscape, five people aren't enough. Not enough. Um, yeah, I think it would be different, too, if it were five people who were all prominent award-winning writers themselves. Like, I, Then you can at least explain to the public how we've arrived in this place of, of more obscure things. But when it's like the the judges are writers that casual readers have mostly not heard of. Well, no one even scrolls down to see the judges. Like most people who look at this and are going to look at Barnes & Noble, they have no idea. They barely know the National Book Award, right? This isn't the Oscars. This isn't even the Pulitzer Prize. The Pulitzer is way better curating than the National Book Award. So I'm not even saying that. I just think like this, when you have a small sample size of taste, you're going to get weird-ass results more often than if you have different kinds of... I think you do need, yeah, a bigger sample size and something that shores up the credibility to the casual mm-hmm. reader of how these books yeah. were chosen. Because it doesn't mean nothing to end up with a National Book Award finalist seal no, on your paper. Absolutely back. not. You can get tenure, you can get another book deal. Like this has real result. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so I don't want to minimize that at all, but I just feel like we keep we're getting more and more idiosyncratic results and I'm just I just don't feel like that's fun, interesting or like the highest and best it's, use of the National Book Award. Yeah. It doesn't serve readers yeah. or the goal of expanding the presence and prevalence of reading in American culture. Yeah. Um, now to play devil's advocate, which I sometimes do, you know, you could make an argument that you know Oprah already does this. Reese already does this. They do capture sure, and atten- they do focus attention on, let's be honest, more upmarket rather than literary. And but I think what that has done maybe is push the National Book Award even higher up the brow ladder. Maybe so. But then you need to rewrite your mission. Sure. Yeah. Or or, you know, maybe you don't. Maybe no one cares. And they're like, <laughs> fine. Um that's that's what it is. But you know, it's 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 tough. I really want there's a part of me that really wants even as diminished as the Oscars are to feel like that kind of a conversation where again I'm not looking at the reading public and I'm not looking at the public in general I'm looking at the kinds of people that are going to go into a palace and walk around for a little while right you know that's that's what I think of as the general public for the National Book Award and when your award is the chance that maybe they've heard of one of them maybe that's a mm-hmm. very tough ask to care about that. And I wonder what it does to the brand over time if it's become increasingly obscure. The Nobel doesn't have this problem because, A, it's world, and it comes with a million dollars. Like, it's interesting of it in right. itself. Um, so, anyway, that's enough grouching about that. Let's grouch about something <laughs> else, but let's do a sponsor break before we get there. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, 
he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. You know, I, I don't know that we're going to grouch about this, honestly. I've seen some people wringing their hands. I don't get it um, about Spotify. No. They have made up to 15 hours of audiobook listening per month will be included in um, the UK and Australia already. I think that happened. Yeah, that happened this week. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the US will be soon. Um, more than 150,000 audiobooks from all the major publishers. I think this sounds almost like we thought it would, where you get sort of one-ish mm-hmm. credit. Right, a one-ish credit, and there is a pre-selected finite list. It's not going to satiate the superpower user audiobook listener. I would include in myself in that. What is it going to do? Why do? Why just do this, Rebecca? What What, what does this do for Spotify? Well, do you think? I think that's a more. Interesting I mean, I think question. this is. I think this is first an admission that the let's get people to buy books they listen to on Spotify, but you have to buy them on the web. You can't buy them through the Spotify app. I think this is an acknowledgement that that is not working. Like audiobooks have not taken off Mm -hmm. (laughs) on Spotify. We haven't seen big reports about what a huge success it's been. My, I guess, slightly cynical reading of this is Spotify's already done all this work to license these audiobooks. They've made the deals with the publishers. They've, you know, paid the fees. They've done the thing that they might as well use it for something. Mm. And if people aren't going to buy audiobooks, they could use this as an additional perk. Like, you know, the streaming wars are real and the cost of all of these services has gone up over the last several years. So like one of, if you're going to pay for premium, one of the additional perks you get is you get 15 hours of audiobook listening per month. Will people use it? I would guess probably not. But people like knowing they have the option. Mm. Like we know this from products that we've yes. developed. People get upset when you take away the option for something even if they, they never, never used, used it. it. Right. That's absolutely <laughs> And true. that's that's my reading of this is Spotify being like, well, we're not going to have much success selling them audiobooks, but we might as well try and see if we can use audiobooks for additional subscriber retention. So when you pay your premium fee, you get your all your playlists and you get no commercials and you get access to whatever else you get. And want, like an additional bullet point on that list is now 15 hours a month of audiobook listening. Maybe they're hoping that 
folks will like the experience and it will motivate them to then go buy mm. one of the audiobooks. You know, like notably, they aren't doing a credit system and they aren't doing flat per book cost. Each book is individually priced. That that does differentiate them, you know, like from the Audible credit system. It doesn't get them out of the absurd prices of individual digital audiobooks, no. which is a major hurdle. <laughs> you know, like I checked something yesterday and the audiobook price was like thirty two ninety nine. I was like, okay, so three times my monthly Spotify premium fee. Yeah. <laughs> That's tough. I don't have any hand wringing over this. In fact, I haven't seen that. So I'm interested in your take on what the hand wringing is. I think this is kind of a nothing burger, but yeah. uh, okay, Spotify, like you're continuing to try. I think the hand wringing, there's always the don't you know you can get that from a library. There's that contingent. Oh, there's that. Oh, well. It's like, well, if you're paying for Spotify already, I don't understand why having this other thing. There's that. And that's, it's, and what you're paying for is not having to wait. Yes. You don't have to wait. It is a limited number. 150,000 audiobooks is a lot, but backlist is forever, um, especially when it comes to audio. Most, what is it, 60% of book sales are backlist? So, yeah. you know. And I think there's just so many the there. last time I saw a number about the Audible catalog, it was like three or 400,000. Mm. Oh, is that right? Well, then this is a significant portion of that. Well, and that transitions mm-hmm. into my... Let's say you do actually have a Napoleon Bonaparte um, strategic genius move. Like, what if mm. this is a genius move? What is it? I'm not saying it is, but what if it is? I think it's giving people a little less reason to even have Audible because I have to imagine mm. that Audible's most successful plan is one credit per month, right? It has to be. It yeah, has to be that so. the most success, the most popular Audible subscription plan is one credit per month. And even if Spotify isn't trying to be the audible of audiobooks, what they are trying to be is they want to be the subscription you pay for. As all of our streaming services mm-hmm. get more expensive, but also people are dialing back their spending. I don't want eight services. Right. I want maybe three streamers, maybe two. I don't need two audiobook. I don't need two ear subscriptions. I can maybe do one. And if I can get Spotify and I get one per month, yeah, it's not everything, but I can probably find something I like if I'm a casual listener. Then I'm like, yeah, I can let my Audible go because I can get, I'll pick something from Spotify. So I don't think it's so much about the audiobook business. I think it's cutting to the heart of their single biggest ear competitor. It's Audible. We don't want mm. you in their ecosystem. We don't want you listening to their podcasts. We don't want them to make any moves into music or anything else we're doing. We're going to pick up something and it's just making it that much easier for a Spotify Audible duelist to let Audible go. And if you're in Spotify and never tried Audible, then don't go. I already get one credit. I'm a casual listener anyway. <laughs> right. I think this is an interesting secondary move. Like yeah. the first move was, let's see if we can get you let's to pay for audiobooks just, yeah, right. here instead of paying for them at Audible. And it doesn't seem that that worked. Now, maybe this will work to do what you're saying, because the 15 hours is, you know, are reasonable for an average yeah, audiobook. Most reasonable. audiobooks are that or shorter. If you're doing like quippy memoirs, you might be able to get two. Mm. So the real question will be, what are the titles yeah. in this 150,000 that are available? And if they are popular new releases that are buzzy, then I think they absolutely will cannibalize some of 
you know, Audible's one credit a month subscribers who are more likely doing the bestsellers that way. If you can do the bestsellers for free with your Spotify subscription that you've already got, and that's where you do your podcast listening and your music listening. Yeah. Having only one subscription for things that go in my ears would be great. I would love it. So I'll be, I mean, I'll be paying attention to this. If they do have the, if the freebies are the kinds of things that I want to listen to, I'd be happy to let my audiobook credits go by the way. I would be genuinely shocked if you're going to be able to listen to the woman and me for free on Spotify, like that kind of, I, I would, right. maybe I'll be That shocked. would be amazing. I would be genuinely Think of the shocked. crossover marketing. You're listening to a Britney Spears playlist. They're like, hey, did you know? I'm guessing it's going to be mostly backlist and it'd probably be rotating, right? I, I would guess it would be something like that, like a la Oyster or Scribd or something else like that. Oyster, rest in peace. No one knows about this anymore. This rest is something in we peace. cared about seven years ago. Um, but it could be, you know, let's see. I'm trying to think of a good example. Uh, oh, well, Ross Gay, right? So, mm. A, the Book of More Delights is what, six and a half hours? So, you can get that in if that's available. But if it's not, you know what um, Algonquin could do? They could make the Book of Delights available, right? They could. To, make, to pick that up, people are interested, and then they can go get um, they can go get the new one somewhere else. Because we see this all the time. Sea of Tranquility, the Emily St. John Mandel was downpriced mm-hmm. ebook deal. Because probably the paperback's been out for a while. There's not that much heat around it. It'll probably sell some copies. But how can you use your backlist to get interested in a reader, get someone interested? They can recommend it somewhere else. So there's a lot of ways of using backlist that isn't necessarily about optimizing the purchase price of that individual title or transaction. It's about brand building. It's about you know using all parts of your catalog and rotating things and out. I mean, I think one thing I've learned about publishing is they think about it more holistically than people might understand. Even as people are frustrated with publishing mm-hmm. marketing, they do things that are interesting. They try to think about, yes. you know, when can we bring something out, a special edition, um, make something cheaper, make something free, do selections or whatever else it might be. And from the publisher's point of view, you think Amazon has a monopoly on print books. Ain't nothing compared to their monopoly on Audible, on audiobooks <sighs> paid. Mm-hmm. And if this can put a little can if this can get publishers a little leverage in their negotiations with Amazon about audiobook royalties or splits fees or other terms and conditions that I might not you and I probably don't even know what the thorns in their sides are it's probably not something as simple as like a split it could be timing it could be exclusivity it could be any number of things there's another place to go because all you need for a little leverage is is a second party to be really interested in it. Well, and also if you if they have a way to do it and they're if publishers are willing to do it for big titles, that's a really interesting marketing piece. Yeah. You can listen to this on audio yeah. on Spotify for free. For free. For free. And maybe the, maybe there'll be some sort of a middle ground where like it's mostly backlist but there's like five AAA titles. Or maybe not yeah, new new releases, really but they're like see. four they've been out for a few months. Like uh, yeah. audio audio is especially of nonfiction popular nonfiction, audio is such a big piece of it. I would expect publishers, having done a good job protecting the castle when it comes to all-you-can-eat ebook reading, I'd be surprised mm-hmm. if this is the place they, they let their guard down. I really would. I'd really be surprised to yeah. see that. I will be, d- d- like, you're, I'm going to lose hours of my day the day that this yeah. hits Spotify in the Special U.S. Special emergency pod where we just scroll Spotify. <laughs> just scroll and talk yeah. about what's I on there, sure. I hear a Patreon sure. episode happening right now. <laughs> Uh, speaking of things Perfect. we're going to drop everything for, um, the Leave the World mm-hmm. Behind trailer dropped last week. I think it was right as we were maybe getting ready to pod last week. I don't remember because mm-hmm. I, um, I I remember dropping it into the, the channel. Anyway, it doesn't matter. 
This is based on the National Book Award finalist, um, yeah. Leave the World Behind. Because things can be popular and have literary merit, Jeff. They what can. What a great synergy for, the, for the case of being right and everyone else being wrong. Good job, us. <laughs> Thanks to Netflix for doing this. The trailer dropped. Good job, Ruman Alam. Uh, Ruman Alam's wonderful, gripping, um, entrancing, yeah, disturbing, scary, scary mm-hmm. electrifying um, novel which is, I was taken from the. I, I talked about this on a, re, on a recent um, Frontless Foyer section because I knew this was coming out and I wanted it in my belt before even the trailer dropped. I was like, I want to have my reading experience locked and yeah. loaded and ready to go. And I have to admit, like, I don't think it's willing to say that this is a story about people on, out on Long Island and something big happens in the world and they kind of have to get through it together and figure out what's happening. I think mm-hmm. that's on the tin. Um, the thing that really got me excited that hooked me from the beginning is his description of the, just this family going on vacation and what it all yeah. it took. It was very literary stuff that had that had tension. It was taut. It was riveting. And it's just driving out to an Airbnb on Long Island. It was, mm-hmm. And then from there, you add in this other piece, um, mystery, thriller. Again, I'm trying not to say too much because I want people to read the book and also have the experience of seeing what happens for the first time. Because I think this is something you could sort of spoil because not knowing what's yeah. going on and what happens and how it ends. or I think go- that's right. D- does, I think it does matter. My beloved Michelle claims not to care about spoilers. I still, I can't get on board with, even people says, like, I don't know, maybe, sure, okay. Um, but I thought the trailer looked great. So, I mean, the, the headlines here, it's, it's, it does. the cast is unbelievable. Marsha Lee, Julia Roberts, Julia Ethan Roberts. Hawke. And, and Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. just from the trailer, it looks like, and I don't, it's been a while since I think you've read it, so I'm not sure how front of mind it was. It seems like they've messed with it a little bit. There's some things yeah. in the trailer that were not in the book, and I can sort of intuit why and what's happening. So that's that's my only note so far, other than it looks great. The tone feels appropriate, yeah. but there's a couple things like, oh, it's not super, super straight um, adaptation. Any, what else? Yeah, Rebecca? I read it. I think I read it when it was Newish? in galleys. Oh, oh wow. Still. Okay. More than yeah. Newish. Yeah. Yeah. But right before it came okay. out and it was one of those, like, I really liked his first couple of books and I was really curious mm. about what Ruman Alam doing a thriller was going to be like. And I just lost my whole Saturday. It was like, Oh, oh yeah, this is what I'm, I'm going to just Absolutely. be sitting on this couch with my stomach, just rising in my throat for like five hours. <laughs> feeling increasingly panicked for these people and it's um it's not scary in a monster's way scary in a like this could really happen and what would we how would we all handle it way mm-hmm. um so i remember mostly the feeling of reading it the vibe uh, more than the details at this point and the trailer captured all of that i thought very successfully i can't wait to watch it it's one of those where i'm gonna have to really be like okay shinsky watch this in broad daylight and you're not the only person at home <laughs> you know like really plan and prepare for it notably it's being produced by the obama's higher ground production company yeah. and barack gave some notes on the production because like some of this is related to like things that the government might have to comment on or things that a president might have to help manage and he was like yo <laughs> Here's the deal. Uh, and I loved that as well. I'm stoked to see Ethan Hawke come back. Like, Ethan Hawke was in the one of the final episodes of Reservation Dogs this season. Um, I'm just glad for a little Ethan Hawke renaissance yeah. as well. Did you finish Reservation Dogs, by the way? Are you all done? I did. I did. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Hawke was unbelievable <laughs> at the penultimate episode. He was... 
so good and such a pleasant surprise. You know, I rewatched the Linklater Before Sunrise trilogy this summer, mm. so I'm like very freshly on a real Ethan Hawke stand moment once again. Yep. And yeah, he was excellent. That that show, Reservation Dogs, just like the consistency of the hit rate for those writers over the, la- the these three seasons, just really incredible. One of the best things I've watched in the last 10 years. Michelle sure. just wandered into Goldfish in the opposite room and it reminded me Correct. with Reservation Dogs. Um, I think it was The Hollywood Reporter had a list of the 50 best TV shows of all time, newly. And Reservation mm-hmm. Dogs was number six. I think maybe that was the occasion yes. of to reassess. They did that. I think we need a Patreon episode going through that list of 50 because I've got notes for The Hollywood Ooh, Reporter. Okay. Um, number one was A Mutual Fave. Uh, of Mad Men, okay. which I am, of course, okay with. Um, but there were some that I'm like, I can't believe, I can't believe it's <laughs> happening. So I've got, I've got takes in the chamber, so we can get that to them. But, but, well, you know, I love a take. So leave the world behind. So here's the other thing. Also, it, I don't know how well it sold. I think it sold fairly well. A couple of notes mm-hmm. for, um, what was this, uh, Echo title? Yeah, it was Echo. Why this didn't come out in the summer? It could have done Emma <laughs> Klein the guest shit. If it had come it out in the really summer, it came have. out in the fall. Yes. Why did they do that? That was this is a like June twentieth yes. release. So anyway, right before the fourth. This is yeah. me relegating release dates of midlist novels from three years ago. <laughs> That's what everyone comes here for. That's the takes they like. So there's that. But then, from a sales point of view, I, I don't. Again, we don't have an NPD book scan, twenty five hundred dollars subscription. We can look at this stuff. I remember it selling fairly well. The thing I know for sure. It was a finalist for the National Book Award, but it was also on a whole bunch of best of the year mm-hmm. lists. Yes. Uh, a bunch. And it was, like, not for nothing, it was a real pivot for yes. Alam. The first book, Rich and Pretty, was really, I think, kind of classical, upmarket, uh, commercial fiction about two women that are best friends mm-hmm. and have been for a long time. One of them is rich and one of them is pretty. Uh, and they're, I loved it. It was, like, you know, like a great sort of uh, what we would have called, like, smart chick lit yeah. 10 or 15 years ago. Um, that was great. This, I can't remember the title of the second novel, but was about a woman who had kind of a real fascination with Princess Diana. Yeah, what was, was that kind into of mother? Real life. That kind of mother. Yes, yeah. that kind of mother. Um, and so moving into like mystery thriller land like this was a real switch for him. And I, I wondered if maybe Echo didn't quite know how to manage mm. that. Like if they weren't sure that the rich and pretty readers were going to come along for this kind of right. story. Um, but I was delighted that the book did got as much attention as it did. Um, I think you're right. It probably could have been packaged and marketed and released on a different timeline to make it land for like this is a splashy really gripping like it's very well written it does that genre crossover thing that we love Mm -hmm. so much but you don't have to be a literary reader to be able to enjoy it it really should not have been a fall release yeah um i did my front list foyer already is there anything you want to hit before we uh yeah john luke what do you got i just read land of milk and honey by c pam zang zong Mm -hmm. Um, and really liked it really liked it um, fa- just a fascinating premise. I think this is the flavor of like cli-fi adjacent <laughs> that I can go to <laughs> because it's not about the climate disaster. It's just that there has been one and there is an ongoing one. And what is this like one pocket of life? Yeah, like but the main character um, is a chef, like a classically cha- trained Michelin star kind of chef, um, who gets recruited to go cook in the restaurant in this like enclave in the mountains in Italy that's above the smog line. Mm -hmm. And that tells you kind of all the things that you need to know about the world they're living in. Uh, But 
the billionaire who founded the mountain also has this daughter who's helping do research about what kind of plants can grow for food, what kind of animals they can you know, genetically modify and raise. And like sinister things happen. And it felt like in tone, it felt to me like that movie, The Menu. <laughs> last year with um, right. Ray Fiennes yes. where it's like look at all these rich people in this fancy place locked in together and something bad is going to happen <laughs> yeah. like, something bad did happen it was really interesting I know you had started I, I, read, I finished you... it I liked it okay. I think it's amazing the first half is amazing the setting the mm-hmm. scene who the characters are you're kind of discovering the world I thought after that it didn't know where it wanted to go it, like kind of the yeah. the idea was out there and maybe as a novella, long short story is more interesting because it felt like the the back half is like, how are we going to get her this woman out of this place? That's kind of yes, what that yeah. turned to be about. Where the, where will she end up? Where will she end up and what's going to happen? I found that much less compelling than the setup and the descriptions and the mm-hmm. carefulness and the, the setup tone. The setup was great. So it felt between a novella and a novel or a long short story and novella, um, but I'm glad I read it. It was really good. I mean, yeah, she continues to be really fascinating. Or, or it's a sub, or it's part, the thing, I, again, don't rewrite the book. I know it's not helpful, but the thing I kept imagining of it being one part of a larger book of her, mm. you know, like that we get a couple of different perspectives and some different kinds of actions yeah, happening. I- at the same time. Uh, my brain was going to what's the adaptation going to mm. be because that's <laughs> how I think about uh, that's the way that my brain is broken by yeah, pop culture right. now is how would I make this into a TV show? And I think I was kind of thinking along the same lines. The setup is incredible. The world she builds is really wonderful and there are interesting side characters mentioned but that don't get a lot of screen time in the book yeah. that you could spend whole episodes or portions of episodes showing what their lives are like in this place and who they were before they arrived there that would really fill it out yeah. um probably not like my best read of the year but i'm I, like you i'm really glad that i read it it was enjoyable and like a great a, a really great original way yeah to i think that's that the premise. way to think about it is like you know as a complete reading experience you know maybe it wasn't perfect but the first half was worth the price of admission in my time <sighs> totally to get it yeah that way. totally all right yeah. well and i have oh, go ahead, i've more. started yes. i've started you know Going Infinite by Michael Lewis. Okay. We which gotta, we'll talk we gotta about gotta keep next a pin week. in that. Very excited. <laughs> There's some capital E discourse going on around Lewis right now. That I know. I'm into. really trying to avoid it yeah, right now yeah, yeah. until I'm done. That's, yeah. I agree. All right, Rebecca, thank you so much. As always, you can find links to everything we talked about today, bookwriter.com slash listen. You can find us, uh, you can email us, podcast at bookwriter.com. Check out the Patreon. And check out you and I writing today in books. It's your week. I'm on next yeah. week. You can find us saying, previewing some takes, warming up some some looks um, uh, along the watchtower there. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Okay.